0: Hello and welcome to Little Things with Amber L.B. Swenson. Today, I am going to be interviewing C.L. Whiteside. He hosts um, a podcast that I hope that you've checked out. It's called The Non-Microwave Truth right here on Time of Grace. And my producer sent it to me probably mm, back in maybe April or May when he first started doing this for Time of Grace. And I fell in love with it right away. So I'm super excited to interview him today and let you guys know a little more about him all right so first of all we're going to start out with a first world problem Uh i don't usually do this but if you've listened to cl he does
1: so we call it a first world problem because it's not really a problem it's something that our minds get to thinking about a little bit outside of the box that helps us um grasp the bible but just kind of wondering like what in the world would god say about this or what is the answer or solution to this it's not heaven or hell It doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. It's more so just an opinion and taking a guess and just seeing how our minds work. Just thinking outside the box. That is a first world problem.
0: So here's my first world problem for you, CL. What kind of distractions do you think the disciples faced? So we have to deal with, you know, Netflix and Amazon Prime and everything we can see on our phones. So what distractions do you think were problems for the disciples?
1: Some of the distractions I think the disciples had were, especially like who's, who's greater, but I'm guessing they all didn't perform the same type of miracles. So when God gave them the power to perform different miracles, I'm guessing that some of them did different things and they probably argued like, you know, my miracle is way better than yours. I'm like, no, mine was definitely better than yours. And just small, simple things from eating what they're going to eat to who does Jesus like the best to how people were perceiving them and reacting to the different things that they were saying. So that's something I, I would guess. What do you guess?
0: I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking of how they like to argue along the way. So I think their mm-hmm. distractions were probably pretty petty, but then also when they started the church, we know that, um, you know, the widows were being overlooked. So there were, there were some functions in the church that they had to, you know, they could see as distractions, but they had to sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm trying to think of, they had to give it to someone else. They had to delegate those things to other people so that it wouldn't, um, become a distraction to them so that they could keep doing the teaching and the preaching. So, you know, I think, I think there was probably distractions that every generation has to deal with.
1: Mm -hmm. I think they probably had some typical man things they argued about too probably some pharisaical things where they got a little bit like the Pharisee. Who's the best Pharisee. Who's the best at this. Who's the best. I don't know what type of sport they had back then. I always think about like um, the Roman empire and gladiators who they would bet on fighting. Like it's UFC fighting and stuff, but maybe they had that. Maybe they didn't back then.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. All right. You want me to say it or you want to say it? What time is it?
1: It is dinner time. You have been
0: watching. That's good. I did my research.
1: Dinner time is the main entree. It's the source of our time together. It's something we want to chew on and digest together. That is dinner time.
0: So CL, how did you come to do the non-microwave truth? And what was the idea behind starting this podcast?
1: The idea behind this podcast was really to try to speak to Generation Z and millennials. And we have so many different things in the world that are constantly challenging us as Christians. It was more so putting those worldly objectives and perspectives to the test and comparing it to to God's word and what what does he say to each one of us. So it's helping a a young Christian man or woman see things from a different perspective, but trying to find the absolute truth, which is God's word in the Bible. Oh yeah. And another, I think I came up with the microwave concept because so many things in our culture, you got to have it right now. And we want to speed up the process. We really don't want to wait. We want it right then and there. But a lot of times biblical truths are more like baked or they're, they're more, um, it it just takes more time to truly understand it and get to the point. And a lot of things you don't want to rush. Like you don't want to put a steak in a microwave and cook that. You got to put that on the grill or you got to make sure that you're doing that the right way in the oven. And I think that's the, the, the same thing with, with God's word and a lot of truths. You can't just microwave it. you have to unpack it and you have to truly um, digest it and allow it to be cooked or simmered the proper way. Did you have, did you have, did you struggle to find the title of your podcast?
0: Um, not too much. I think Nia and I had one phone conversation and we sort of came up with I just wanted something, you know, I'm, I just pick out little everyday things and the idea of maybe changing your mentality just a tiny bit. All right. So, so let people get to know you a little bit. Tell me about your job. What do you do?
1: I am an assistant principal at a high school. And what does that encompass? Man, that's, that's. So some days it's, it's like counseling. Some days it's like encouraging. Some days it's supporting other teachers. Some days it's laying down the law and being a disciplinarian. And then besides that, I also coach football and basketball. And for a number of years, I was running the weight room. So I usually stay busy doing those type of things, but a lot of it is just dealing with the kids and helping the culture of the school and trying to dictate or keep kids on a straight line.
0: So for the most part, you're dealing with 14 to 18, 19 year olds somewhere yes. in there. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Talking about that age groups, what are some of the biggest challenges that you see teens facing today?
1: I think it's the same issues that some of us adults face at times. It's like, what is our identity and what is our identity going to be wrapped in? And I think it's just challenging for them because they have so many different things pulling at them. And especially when they get, get to high school, some of their bubbles get popped with. Before they came to high school, they might have been known as a basketball player or a singer or a musician. Then all of a sudden they get to high school and it's like they're not necessarily the best or they get cut or it doesn't go exactly how they want. So it's them finding who they are and then trying to find a, a group of friends or a group of people that they can surround themselves with. And also, how do they become more independent? Because they're still children, but at the same time, they're not adults. So that's yeah. a complex area, wait for them to move maneuver around for sure.
0: You know, I think another thing that I saw too, my son graduated last year and I was sort of surprised at the pressure these kids put on themselves. Yeah, Like, I, I don't know how many people I told last year, you don't have to figure out what you're going to do for the rest of your life. Like, I'm not doing anything I thought I was going to be doing when I was your age. So mm-hmm take the next step and don't put so much pressure on yourself. Like if I, if I, what if I go to the wrong college? Well, then you figure that out and you, you go to a different one or so what if I'm on like... the wrong career path? Well, then you yeah. stop doing that and you change directions. Cause that's what all the rest of us do.
1: That's unique yeah. though. So you don't feel like you put any pressure on them.
0: I don't put pressure on my kids because my, my husband uh, went to nursing school at 27. So he had gone to college for a couple of different things. And I took a year off in between high school and college. So neither one of us really knew what we were doing. And so for me, I just figure, you know, um, to be 18 and feel like you need to know what the rest of your life is going to look like is an expectation that I wouldn't even dream of putting on my kids because
1: Mm -hmm. I
0: just think life happens.
1: Yeah. I think that's unique though, because since you had that little break or a different path, you know that there are multiple ways to get there. Yeah. Especially for the parents who went from point A to B to C, they really don't understand if their kids take a different path of time. They like, they got to do it just like I did. They got to do it just like I did, or they have to do it better. And it's like, mm, not necessarily. There are a lot of different ways to get to this point.
0: See, so I see it both ways because I see the parents who put a lot of pressure on their kids. And then I also see the parents who have like almost no expectations <laughs> for their kids. You know, like my, my son's big into doing auto mechanics and stuff. And so a lot of his friends, you know, they're just kind of working full time. And I keep saying, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And they're "Eh, nothing, you know, didn't really like school. And I'm like, come on, you guys are young. You have your whole life ahead of you. There's so much to do. So don't sell yourself short just because you, you you hated school. Well, that's very true. So are there any things that you see in terms of things that teens are dealing with that us parents are totally oblivious to that, you know, like we're rocking around and you would love to say to parents, look, (laughs) you have no idea.
1: I think one of the biggest things is they don't understand. They might not even really know their child, especially how they talk or act on social media because I've seen some of my students group chats and I'm just like, Oh my goodness. Like, do your mom know you talk like this? Do you know your dad? Does your dad know you talk like this? And they're like, no. And parents probably are oblivious to their children being a different person in that space. Because when you're behind the screen and you have that peer pressure and you have other people who are kind of influencing and encouraging you to act a certain way, they usually give into that, that type of pressure. So they usually don't know their child as well as they think they do. So that's probably the biggest thing,
0: oh, that's good. That's really good. I know that my kids um every once in a while they uh you know i'm I have them for Snapchat and you know I'm on their Instagram pages, and all of a you're sudden you know, what
1: you are friends with them,
0: yeah, oh yeah.
1: okay, you sure you're but not like on the private
0: story? Well, that's what I was gonna okay. say every <laughs> once in a while, I get a little message that says so-and-so posted a private story. And then I'm like, what, what are you doing blocking me? What's going on? What's so, yeah, I think you're, I think you're right on. I think a lot of parents have no idea or they're, they're friends on Facebook or Instagram. They're, you know, matched up or whatever, but the kids have more than one account, you know, or like you said, the private chats, you know, that we aren't privy to. And so.
1: Yeah. But Finster or something crazy. Yep.
0: They definitely do. Oh, that's good. So is there something we should be doing about that or just making sure something that we're talking I, to I you?
1: encourage parents to do is just every once in a while, ask your kid to see their phone. Yep. And if they can't give you their phone and just say, hey, show me, like, log on, let me see what you're putting on there, then that's a red flag. Because they have to know or they have to feel comfortable showing you. And if they can't show you, that means they have stuff on there they shouldn't have on there.
0: Good to know. Good to mm-hmm. know. Um... I've worked with teens for years. One of the things that's broken my heart is um, they tend to go off to college and at first we can still, you know, hang out and chat together. And then a year or two down the line, you know, they sort of want to see me less or talk to me less because they're (laughs) in a different crowd and doing something different. And do you have any sort of advice for parents and grandparents Um, as they send their kids off beyond high school, have you seen things that really help as far as keeping them in the word, keeping them coming Mm -hmm. back to church? Are there anything, any things that we could be doing?
1: I think even before they leave, it's really trying to help them see that going to church is not just a religious activity. Mm -hmm. It's not something we do just to do. It's more so showing them how the church has impacted your life in a, in a positive way. For a lot of, I would say, Generation Z and millennials, if it's not entertaining or they don't get something out of it, they don't see how it's impacting their life. It's like, why in the world would I go? And if they don't see it actually helping them and being beneficial, being beneficial, it's like, I don't want to go to church. Like for what? And also just being real with them. Like, hey, yeah, this pastor doesn't fit you. So you should find somewhere else. Because I think sometimes parents are like, you should just listen to him. You should just listen to him. It's like this might not be the place for you. And that's absolutely okay, But you need to find a different place. You need to go ahead and struggle with different things in a word and find someone who could actually feed you and you can relate to. I think when they don't see someone who can relate to them right away, they kind of just say, forget it. And parents are like, well, why don't you get it? And it's like, I don't want to. Everything else in my life is entertaining. Why can't this be entertaining or fun or impactful or I find meaning in it? Actually, I'm doing this for you instead of doing it for myself. One of
0: the things that I think is really important too for older people to realize who don't necessarily have a college age kid or um, they've been out of it for a while. When I used to teach my uh, women's Bible studies, I would say to the women, do you know how important it is that when these college students come back, people actually notice them and say, Mm -hmm. hey, how are you doing? And they would say, yeah, but we don't know anything about them. And I would say, (laughs) well, then you should be talking to them. Then you should be saying, where are you going to school? And how is it? And how are your classes? And do you have good professors? And, you know, it's not hard to take three minutes and open up and talk to these young adults and make them feel like we care that you're here. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one thing that the church can do. And more often than not, when I start talking to those young adults, I, you know, I end up having a half hour conversation and they're, they're great people. You know, if you just go up and start talking to them, they they're more than happy to talk to you. So I I think it goes both ways, you know, as far as what our young adults are looking for in a church, but also making sure that the church is welcoming them.
1: Yeah. Taking time is so tough because we all get so busy. Like we all have our different things that we're dealing with different issues and that is true, though, because I think about some of my, my former athletes, how I try to text them or even once in a while I hit them up and say, hey, you want to do a devotion on the, on the Bible? But usually they're very receptive to it. It's just more so, do I remember and make the time to actually reach out and do it? So that is tough, but that's actually, that, that's like the only way, though. You got to yeah. make the time to do it.
0: So what are some ways that you see teens being pulled into secular ideology and what truths, if any are Christian teens embracing from the secular world? So you brought up identity before, um, but is there anything else that you're seeing? Yeah,
1: I think uh, a big one is just um, who do you love? And like Mm -hmm. the the concept and term of of love. And it's funny because we had a student who had like a shirt that was like, um, a man can kiss a man and a woman can kiss a woman. There are bigger issues in the world. And I was just kind of like, well, what does that mean to you? She's like, well, you know, like in Afghanistan and stuff. I was like, well, what does God say about a man and a man kissing? She's like, well, in my opinion, I'm like, no, I'm not talking about your opinion. Like, what, what does God say? So I think it's really tough because they want to be accept, they wanna, they wanna accept other cultures and other views and other philosophies. But at the same time, you don't want to forfeit what God is telling you. And there's a way to love someone and not agree with someone. And I think that's probably one of the biggest things that people struggle with like just because I disagree with you doesn't mean I hate you. it doesn't mean that I, I dislike you or I want you to go to hell or it's the end of the world it's just I don't agree with you and I'm going to tell you why I don't agree with you because it's not necessarily my opinion I'm basing this off of, I'm basing this off of God's word. so that's yeah. something that they're constantly being being pulled to to figure out and be like, well, if you don't agree then you don't like me it's like nah it's not like that all the time And I yeah. think another one is that there, there are things that kind of influence them that they don't even know like music and tv and and just uh things that, uh, the media and the entertainment and they don't even know it but all of a sudden you're rapping a song that's talking about objectifying women and smoking and drinking and you're like well i just like the beats like no you actually this starts to become okay to you we become callous to the different stuff that we are constantly feeding our minds So that's just something that some of them are very conscious of because i know some of my students are like yeah i'm off social media and some of them they just can't help it and they're like it's not having any effect on me. What I listen to doesn't have any effect on me. So that's probably the biggest thing in just battling, all right, what really is influencing me and impacting me? Because we're kind of in denial about that. What what have you seen for your, your your kids?
0: Definitely music is a huge one because what everybody's listening to, you know, in the secular world is more often than not, not what I want being played in my house. So there's more often than I'd like to admit, you know, my kids bring their phones and their speakers in when they take showers and I'll be hearing this music <laughs> outside and I'll be knocking on the door. I'm like, no, turn that off. Yep. My my son makes TikTok videos and, uh,
1: can he dance?
0: He actually can.
1: Can you dance?
0: Can I? Well, not publicly, not in front of people.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: But my friend, uh, my son makes TikTok videos, which are really impressive. And my husband and I both joined TikTok so that we could follow our kids and find out what they're posting. And he was looking through my phone the other day, he was looking through my TikToks and he's like, mom, you hardly ever like my videos. And I say, if there's a bad word in any of the songs that are on your video, I'm not liking that. So you yep. need to use clean music and I'll like your videos. That's why I'm not, because if people look me up and say, what does she like? <laughs> yeah. Unless you have the right music, I'm not liking it.
1: That's so funny you brought that up. That's a different phenomenon too. like The likes and the views, yeah. how much um, that affects who they are and their value. At oh, times. For sure. like they might post something and it gets like 100 likes. And it's like, what's wrong? I got to delete it. I didn't get my normal 500. <laughs> and it's like, what? And just like, it means a lot though. Like it, it helps them feel life. it, it gives them energy. It's, it's where they find value at times.
0: So, so true that, and, and that's going to bring us to the next thing I actually want to talk about is phones. Um, as a mom. So I got my first iPhone. That's probably embarrassing to admit, but in 2017, so my, some of my kids had iPhones before I did, but <laughs> as a mom. You know, I think parents struggle with this whole technology thing. You know, we all try. I, I make my kids turn in their phones at night until they're 18, which they have told me I am the biggest dictator of anyone that they know that that is just so insanely crazy. Nobody turns in their phone at night, mom. And I'm like, you're going to, because I know some parents that do that. Do you? Yes. Oh, thank it's a you. a couple of parents
1: I've encouraged to do that. Like, dude, take away their phone.
0: Right, 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 right. And dinner time, you know, there's like a rule that you don't have your phone and that type of thing, but it's definitely a struggle. You know, it's always a struggle, that whole idea of balance. And I've tried to teach my kids, you know, when you're on social media or when you guys are talking, texting back and forth and all that, it, it's just like a shadow of the real thing it's so Mm -hmm. much more fun to just be together with friends and hang out and do stuff than to be on the phone. So do you have any ideas for the balance that parents are trying to get with their teens and technology?
1: Yeah, I definitely think if they are addicted and a lot of them are taking Mm -hmm. their phones at night. So it's, it's super funny. I just had a student, like he's falling asleep in class and I caught him on his phone. He's like, I was texting my mom. I was like, all right, prove it. And he shows me the text message and all it says, is it's, it's 2.54 a.m. She's like, go to sleep. And it's like, dude, you, you on your phone that much? Yeah. So I think really limiting how much they're on there, if they can't do it themselves. Some, some students and some teenagers could do a good job of like, all right, I have other things to do. But a lot of them just can't limit it themselves. So that screen timing, letting them know like, all right, you only get this much screen time helps out so much. Mm-hmm. And it's, tr- it's trying to get them to see like, Do you know how this is influencing or affecting you? And until they see that, I think it's always going to be a a battle though. But I don't know necessarily how to get them to see that. I guess it's maybe pointing out or having them look at some of their other friends or peers. Like, do you see how this is influencing them? Do you see if you would have been on your phone, you wouldn't be able to do this or that? So yeah, yeah, that's complex though.
0: I have to say too, at first, when my kids got their phones and I was taking them at night, you know, at three in the morning, when one of their friends texts or calls or something, the next morning I'd get up and I'd say, "Yeah, you need to tell Josh that I'm the one who's getting that phone call, so he needs to not call at three a.m. He should be sleeping." Yeah, like so, why are you
1: calling so late, man? What's wrong? Yeah,
0: exactly. That's just it, and that's why I, I don't even know that most parents understand how much their kids are on those phones at night, if if they're not being monitored.
1: Uh, I think that's something that millennials have passed down to them, though that they have to have their technology all the time. It's got to be on your hip. You really can't turn it off. You might miss something. That's probably the biggest fear. I'm going to miss something. I'm going to miss this text. I'm going to miss the latest thing that's happening. It's like, if it's that important, you will find out about it. Somebody else is going to tell you.
0: Yeah. And let's face it too. I mean, as parents, you have to be setting the example. You know, if you're not, because mm-hmm. a lot of parents are sitting on their phones as much or more than their kids are. So if you're not willing to, to do the same, then you, you can't really talk to your kids about it. So CL, do you have any ideas for things that parents and grandparents can do um, to help their kids sort of, you know, not get swallowed up by secular culture?
1: I think one of the big things is allowing them to express and share the things that they disagree with Mm -hmm. and allow them to challenge things. I think sometimes We act like people aren't Christians when they challenge something that's in the Bible or they challenge God. And I don't think that's necessarily anything wrong with it, especially if you actually research it. So sometimes what I see, um, what we do as people is we hear something new and then we research that and we leave it at that. But it's also like, if you hear this new thing, go ahead and research it, but also research the Bible. Also look at the biblical truth and then compare and see who's going to win. And you'll be surprised, like the Bible is going to win. Like at the end of the day, it's going to win. And if it doesn't win, that's because it's attacking something that we might be struggling with to the point that we feel like it's our identity or allowing our feelings to rule. But if you really get to challenge in the Bible and you really get to do your research, you're going to be shocked and amazed to be like, man, this is true. I don't necessarily feel like doing this, but this this is the truth.
0: Yeah. And I think the other thing that that is so key on that too, is that Sometimes teens, young adults will say, but that's not in the Bible. Well, actually, body image is in the Bible. You know, it doesn't Mm -hmm. say body image. It doesn't talk about anorexia, but God talks about how you're fearfully and wonderfully made and how he loves you with an everlasting love. And um, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Like, so there is. Those things are addressed in the Bible. So what you're saying too, is just like bringing those secular things in as parents and grandparents, it's going to take a little bit of work to say, but this is what the Bible says, but to find now, those things.
1: I mean, I guess it's also encouraging them to have some type of mentor or a group of people that they actually can go to with these things. Like I just, I heard somebody was like, well, in the Bible, it never says that you shouldn't have multiple wives. And I was like, it might not necessarily say you shouldn't have multiple wives, but it did say one man and one woman. It also, if you look at all the people who had multiple wives, like it was horrible. Like there was nothing good that came from it. There was no true um, thing where God was approving at. So j- just getting them to see like, all right, find somebody that can mentor you, find someone who can share this to you, find someone who can break it down to you. And then just to your point, like you said, just because it doesn't say exactly not this, look at the other context of it for sure. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Let's talk about racial tension. That was like a big, big deal in 2020. Um, What do you see as the major issues regarding race that teens are dealing with today? Or are they?
1: I think for teens right now, they're trying to figure out where do they stand and how do they show support in some ways. Mm -hmm. I think it's also a fear on what's taking too much and going too far. And then there's also the opposite side of I don't want to give anything up and I want to deny that this is even happening. So I think one of the things they battle with, too, is just seeing what do their where do their family stand with this or their parents? So they have all these different things that they're trying to deal with. They're trying to deal with their parents aspect and perspective. They're trying to deal with the social media and the, the media's influence and in effect and telling them what they should and shouldn't believe. Then they have their friends and their peers. And then they also have their their own experiences. And when I look at it, it comes down to, of course, it's sin, but specific sin is just selfishness, selfishness and not not having the ability to be empathetic and to relate or put your shoes in someone else's shoes, put yourself in someone else's place of shoes, I should say. I think that's really big for that.
0: Yep. I I couldn't agree more. I, I, you know, my kids, uh, my daughter, her best friend is from Egypt. And so- Mm -hmm totally different race and they're just the best of friends and they just, um, it's kind of funny until you make a deal about it. it it's not a deal. You know what I mean? Like yep. they don't, they never make a deal about it unless somebody makes a deal about it in front of them. And then it becomes a deal and you have to mess with both of them. But, um, yeah, yeah I actually, I've been kind of surprised at how my kids are pretty, um, Well, one of the things that I taught my kids from the very young age is the whole bullying thing. Like anytime you see somebody else being bullied, it's your job to step in. So unless they have a gun or, you know, a knife or something and it's dangerous, you know, if you see it happening, then it's your job to call the other person out. And so I I don't know, I, I see my kids being pretty willing to, if anybody's trying to Put someone else down no matter if it's a race issue or a gender issue or you know this person's smarter than this person or or this one's dressed weird or whatever it's just it's a non-issue
1: no you just made me think of something too that it's hard for some teenagers to to forgive mm-hmm. because they might have had something done to them that was um, racially charged on either end of the, the spectrum and their ability to forgive and not uh, put that on everyone who seems to be like them. So don't put it on every black person. Don't put it on every white person. This was mm-hmm. an isolated incident where this is not encompassing the whole group, but this is just that incident. Can you make it just this or is it going to be every single thing that comes in your life? And it's just a, a mentality and a mindset because like you said, it's it's how much should you bring it up though? That's very, that's very tough because you can't deny race and right. racial issues and tentu- tension, tension, but at the same time, you also can't contribute it to every single thing that happens in your life that doesn't go your way. So right. that's probably the, the toughest part. And then when you have someone who doesn't agree with you, does that mean they're, they're racist or they're sexist or what does that really mean? But just figuring out that why and just getting to know each person is the toughest part. Because we, do we have time to do that? I don't know. Do I even want to do that? <laughs> you could be just like the last person who hurt you. Yeah. Oh.
0: And yeah, that's actually really good because I think sometimes teens have a chance, have a tendency to overreact that way. You know, this teacher, well, this teacher just hates girls. So I know I'm not going to get a good grade in his class. And I'm, you know, it's like, well, hold on, hold on. Just because the last person said that doesn't mean, you know.
1: Yeah, so, That's so that's- true. Cause we have, we have some students who They'll quickly go like that was racially charged. And it's like, well, can you explain to me why? Well, this person got away with this. It's like they didn't get away with this. Well, this person got this consequence. They got this consequence because they did this and this. Like, oh, I didn't know that. They didn't tell me that. It's like, duh, they're not going to tell you exactly why they got in trouble and why they're in that situation. They're going to try to bring that up. I think that's something people do all the time when when they get in trouble, especially parents bring it up. Sometimes it's because oh, you're doing this because I'm black. No, you're doing this because I'm white. You're doing this because you don't have any kids. You're doing this because you're younger. You're doing this. So they bring up anything to try to get out of something. It's like, if you get pulled over by a police officer, you might say, you pull me over because I'm a woman. You might be yeah. pulling me over because I'm black at times. So all of that stuff can, can definitely have some truth in it. But is it always true is a tough part.
0: You brought up forgiveness, actually. And so I wanted to bring up cancel culture. Um, it's a pretty hot topic in our culture, clearly. Uh, And yet Jesus tells us to forgive 70 times, seven times. Do you see teens um, embracing the cancel culture or do you think they tend to be more forgiving?
1: Um, It depends on how hurt they are. And it kind of depends on their personality and their perspective on it. For some, they can let stuff just roll off the back pretty easily. But for some, it's like this is continuously happened to me. I am hurting and I'm sick of forgiving over and over and over again, more so this needs to change. So that's probably the the thing that makes them most frustrated at times. It's just like, why should I have to forgive when really this group of people or this person should change? It shouldn't be me having to forgive. And sometimes it's just reminded them, like, you can still forgive, but not necessarily forget or all of a sudden have to be buddy-buddy with that person. Forgiving a lot of times is doing something for yourself and not always just for them. Cause you, you can't swallow poison and expect it to affect somebody else. And you not forgiving sometimes is, is affecting you more negatively than it is affecting that other person.
0: Yeah. But I think you hit on something that's really important for our teens to learn and that's boundaries, you know, like you mm-hmm. said, just because you forgive somebody doesn't mean you let them do it again and again and again. So it was Maya Angelou that said, if a person shows you who they are, believe them you know? And so when my kids come home and say, so-and-so did this and it really stunk and they really hurt my feelings, I'm like, you know, definitely forgive them, give them another chance, but just keep in the back of your mind, you know, like, "Eh." and then when that happens again, we're sort of like, okay, now, you know, you got to have boundaries. You can't tell them everything because their tendency is to throw it back in your face at the worst possible moment. So, you know, learning those things, not letting yourself get walked on all the time, forgiving, being loving, but putting those boundaries up um, is an important part of being a teen.
1: Yeah, it truly is. And I think that you just have to, um, like kind of given the, the police example, is you have to assess and understand where, where people are coming from. So when I look at uh, a police thing, especially for like, for blacks, you have to understand that if their encounters have been with police officers and they have been negative, they're gonna have in their mind, we're gonna have in our mind necessarily that um, this police officer is pulling, over, pulling, me up, pulling me over for X, Y, and Z. So that doesn't, that doesn't give me or anyone the right to be like, well, that's not what happened because we don't really know. It's more so assessing the situation and then just also being real about what happened. Why did, why did this happen? And I think when we're not in that position, sometimes we discredit it. And then sometimes when we are in that position, you also don't want to be victim blaming too. Mm -hmm. So that's the the toughest and the finest line on how do you make progress with that though? Because sometimes it's absolutely real. And sometimes it's like, is this because of something else that happened to me or experience that I had before? And both are real, but doesn't always make it a fact.
0: And what do you even do with it? My son has a 1970 Chevelle that is loud and fast. And so he knows we've told him from day one, you will get pulled over every single time you go too fast. So <laughs> don't be surprised. It's going to happen. If, if you're doing it, they're going to notice you because you're, you're, your car's loud. So don't be surprised. That sounds did like a beautiful it. car though. Oh, he's in love. It's his baby. So I am super hopeful. Uh, when I talk to my kids, bring home kids all the time and teens and young adults, I, I just, when I talk to them and listen to them and, um, you know, get to know them, I I'm just hopeful. And so what are some things that you see in the generations, you know, right now, the young people, um, that you're just excited about?
1: I think their knowledge on a lot of things is so much farther and more advanced than uh, millennials and older, I should say. And it's more so I always just say to them, so you have this knowledge, you have this awareness. What are you going to do with it, though? Mm-hmm. Like, it's one thing to know to have the, the foundation It's more one thing, another thing to actually act and to walk with you, walk with you talking. So that, that gives me a lot of hope. And it's the ability and the, the courage to want to make an impact.
0: Yes. Like a lot
1: of them want to make an impact. They want to defend um, what's right. It's more so just understanding what is truly right. They want to defend the truth, but what is absolute truth. But mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of courage. There's a lot of impact. There's a lot of desire to, to do meaningful and purposeful work. And they got the energy right now. They definitely have the energy. So I think you lose that energy when you get a little older and things don't go your way couple of times and you just have to deal with mess in this world but right now they definitely have the energy and they want to make the impact and they want to do purposeful and meaningful work for sure
0: i think that's true and i also see them i think that i was maybe i think i had more tunnel vision when i was young than they do they seem to be more aware of people around them i think from what i see anyway Mm -hmm. um just yesterday i was gonna just mow my front yard quick and I brought the lawnmower over and my son and his friend were over working on their trucks. And I just, you know, pulled the cord a couple of times and it didn't go. And my, my son's friend just stepped right over. He's like, let me get that for you. I go, I'm fairly embarrassed, but thank you for noticing. You know, he didn't just let me sit there and figure it out. He, I mean, he he was aware. He's working on his own truck, but he he's watching me bring the lawnmower up over, and he didn't sit and watch me struggle. You know, he just immediately was like, "She needs help." So yeah. I, I love that they're more aware. I think than than I was at that age. I'm not so sure I notice people more. So, yeah.
1: especially when that, they don't have the phone in their hand.
0: Yeah, no, for sure, for yeah. sure, for sure. Well, I love. I loved having this conversation with you, and I'm really excited for the listeners to just get to know you better and know what's on your heart. I enjoy listening to your podcast. So, a couple of things that you brought up today, I was thinking about um, podcasts that you've done when you talked about being offended, and I know you did one on that and uh, how everybody gets offended all the time and mm-hmm. checking your facts and you know, it, is it a is it a fact or is that just your opinion? And so, I, I hope my listeners will go and check out the non-microwave truth because I think there's a lot of good stuff in there.
1: Um, I had a question though for you. Yeah. Is there anything that you think that you really did a good job of talking to your children about? And also, is there anything that you feel like, man, I wish I probably would have talked to them about this a little more.
0: Mm. Well, I definitely learned. So my youngest is 13 right now. And I think I was way too structured with my first. Um, So, you know i had it i had a certain expectation and a certain way that i thought things should go mm-hmm. and i have a i have a child who has dyslexia and so when that child came along um everything got blown out the window as far as expectations so because school didn't go the way it should go and so that really taught me that um i had started out with these expectations of how i thought school should be and you know, what it should look like for all my kids. And, and pretty early on, I figured out that wasn't going to be the way it was going to be. And I wish that I would have learned that earlier, just because I would have been far less stressed out when things don't turn out. Um, so I think, I think that's one thing I was way too structured or my expectations on, in terms of how things were going to go. Um, I really, thought because I'm type A. So I sort of thought my family's going to look like this and this is what we're going to do. And this is how it's going to go. And, you know, every child is so, so different that, um, thankfully God knocked me alongside the head pretty early. Um, one of the things that I think that I've gotten a lot better at that I really stunk at to begin with, with teens particularly is, um, I used to think that I had to correct everything that they were doing. And actually, I really, really appreciated the podcast you did on prayer. Um, be careful what you ask, because I think as parents, it's really easy for us to pray that God gives them the easy way, but that's not the character building way a lot of times. And so I think um, we have to be a little bit careful that we don't let them struggle through. And what I've learned um, through through my two oldest ones saying to me different times, mom, don't correct me. Just let me figure it out. You know, just, just mm, back off. And, and I think the more I've learned to do that and uh, sit on the sidelines and pray. And the other thing that I've learned that I probably should have learned earlier, but I can't, I can't tell people enough to do is find the positives and find reasons to encourage your children Because absolutely the biggest motivator for almost all of us is not the times that people are telling us what we're doing wrong, but the times that people are coming behind you and going, you are amazing. I can't believe you just did this. And so my son is really into old cars and, um, you know, he wasn't really much into school at all, but one day him and some friends came and they moved a transmission from one car into the other in like five hours And they, they took the initiative to buy this old truck that was totaled to tow it to our house, to move the transmission from one vehicle to another, to get the tow truck back, to tow it away. And I just, I went out there to all these kids who, you know, don't do well in school. And I'm like, you guys are geniuses. This is so amazing that you guys know how to do this. And you're taking initiative. And, and, you know, when you get behind your teens and young adults and, and just let them know that you're behind them. I mean, those guys were just beaming and these are not kids who do well in school. So they don't typically hear that. They're typically hearing, why is your paper light? And why don't you have this done? And why'd (laughs) you skip school yesterday? And, you know, so, I mean, I think, I think one of the big lessons for me is that find ways to encourage your kids, find ways to, um, find them doing the right thing. And that will do so much more than nitpicking.
1: Mm -hmm. And I have another question. Yep. Especially since you're a parent, because I always wonder this type of stuff with parents, because I don't have any kids, but do you feel like you were the first person to talk to your, your kids about sex? No. Or drugs or, or racism or any Mm -hmm. of those things of that nature?
0: No. In fact, we, um, you know, the first child is an experiment. And so uh, I think I could have done better with that too. I found out later that they had learned a whole lot on the bus that I didn't realize. Timmy
1: watching some he shouldn't have been watching.
0: Well, and (laughs) because they were were going to a Christian school. So I sort of assumed that the bus full of Christians wasn't going to be what it was, but that wasn't true at all. So um, no, I don't think I was the first one to talk at my 13 age year old, was I, this? um, probably seventh or eighth grade.
1: That's, that's the tough part too. What age do you need to do this? At?
0: So I think we started now as our kids got younger, we've, uh, done a better job, but I, one of the ways I like to do it, quite honestly, what I've learned, I never used to watch TV at all. I had too many things to do. And as my kids got to be teens, one of the best experiences for teaching, I think, is sitting down and watching shows with them. So, you know, one of the things we watched uh, off the bat was psych. My daughter got into my my oldest is a daughter. And, you know, so when they're hopping in bed together, I'm like, whoa, hold on, pause <laughs> you guys like this is not the way to do it. And then, of course, when the relationship doesn't work, that's the time to say, see, see why this just yeah. causes so many issues. And, and so we've, I make a point almost eh, four or five nights a week. Um, if one of my teens is home, my older teens all work, but, um, if they want to watch something, I sit down and watch the show with them. And, you know, even as far as language, that's a factor we don't watch rated R things. So we've already got that barrier up, but, um, so even in terms of drugs, like you said, one of the great things for for that is my husband's a nurse and he used to get the overdoses on his floor from Uh, and so he has been crucial I mean he's been right on there with my kids saying you know people who use heroin are always chasing their first high so you don't get a one chance to just try it you're addicted the first time so you can't do it so my my husband's been really good about uh, you know, even people on math, he's like, it'll mess you up. Like you can't, you can't do it. You, you just can't. So, um, but I think watching shows, I think that's a really good w- way to start discussions. We have um, prayers and devotions every night together as a family every night. And we read the Bible oh, together. Awesome. So between reading the Bible and watching a TV show, um, just a lot of things come up.
1: Yeah. I think you hit on, the, hit on the head a couple of things I think parents forget, too. They, they forget that they need to have a number of conversations. Like, it's not just one conversation about the birds and bees, and then you stop. And then I think some parents really forget, too, that even though they get to 16, 17, 18, even 19, they're not adults. Because I know some parents are like, well, they're going to do what they're going to do, so I'm just going gonna, gonna to get them the condoms, actually. And it's like, what? Uh, like, they still will listen to you, actually. They still want to Hear what you have to say. It might be a little battle right then and there, but they're listening more than you think. So that those ongoing conversations and sounds like you're very intentional is awesome.
0: Well, I think one of the hardest conversations that I didn't realize that I needed to have. I told Pastor Mike this um, when we did the abortion series, but one of my children has had a relationship for two years already, and we have all kinds of rules about being alone and and all this mm-hmm. stuff, but You know, the bottom line is when they drive away in their car, they leave for the day and I I don't know where they are and what they're doing. So, you know, they know what our expectations are, but the bottom line is I don't know. And so for the first time ever, I had the conversation that, you know, I know you know what's right and I get it, but I just want to make sure you understand that if something happens and if there is a baby, you know, I want to see my grandkids. I don't want Mm -hmm. you to think that abortion is the only way out for you. So I want to make sure that you understand that if things don't go as planned, um, I want to be part of the conversation and I don't know who is more red me or the (laughs) child, as I was saying this. And honestly, the child looked at me. I mean, I'm saying child, I'm trying to keep sex out of it and everything, but, um, this, my, my child was like, oh my gosh, mom, I can't believe you just said that. I'm like, I just, I just think, I mean, I just want you to know that mm-hmm. I, I want to be part of the conversation. And I don't want you to feel like if you don't do, if you don't live a certain way, you can't come talk to me. And so.
1: Yeah. Cause it only takes one time.
0: It, that's exactly right. And, and, you know, I think the other thing that I'm trying to learn, which is really hard for me sometimes is, um, to just be super transparent with my kids about what I did right. And what I did wrong. And to just be like, you know, you think that you can't talk to me because I did everything right. I didn't do everything right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you can talk to me.
1: That's something too. I, I think about is that when I do have those conversations with my athletes and different students and different kids, I want to be very transparent, but then I'm very conscious. Like, man, I got to make sure I'm not making this seem like it was cool or like, this is what right. everybody did. I right. almost have to share the consequences with them too. Or just yeah. like, this is why this was so stupid, but mm-hmm. you can do better than me. You can do yeah. better than me, but I did mess up too. The transparency yeah. is the key. I think they desire that a lot.
0: Yeah. And I think I I know that my kids, especially early on, I think when I did it wrong and I was chasing my kids all all the time and saying, you're doing this wrong and, you know, trying to fix them and correct them. And, you know, I think the one or two times that they said, not everybody's perfect. Like you, mom woke me up to the fact that, oh man, I'm doing a really bad job of making them understand that I was a teen and I know the challenges and I didn't do it all right. So Mm -hmm. then you kind of have to backtrack and, but I think, I think all of this comes down to relationship, 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 and just making sure that your kids know and not just my kids, the kids that come to my house know that I'm available to them, that I will be your mom when your mom, if you can't talk to your mom and. I might not tell you what you want to hear, but I'm here and I love you. So I think that's just a big part of, um, of teens and young adults is just making sure that they know that we care for them and that we're willing to have the conversations. Even if they're awkward, difficult, hard conversations, we're willing to, to be there for them.
1: Yep. The more you do it, the better. It's only awkward if you allowed to be awkward.
0: And it is sometimes awkward. (laughs) Thank you CL for taking the time to talk to me today. I really enjoyed it. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation I had with CL as much as I did. And I hope that you have lots of little nuggets to take away as you deal with your children and your grandchildren or even just young people in our congregations. I hope that you have ideas so that you can take little things and use them to really help these teens and young adults feel like they're part of the body of Christ. This has been Little Things because in God's kingdom, the little things are the big things.